Good morning, family. It's so good to be with you shoulder to shoulder in worship. You know, James 4.8 tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you, to us. So as we begin in worship together, let's celebrate his nearness. Let's rest in his nearness to us, all right? Let's prepare our hearts.
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He doesn't change, and we don't either, even when we're walking through that valley in the shadows, right? Right. It's good to see you this morning. Welcome. It's good to see this room full of people, isn't it? Yeah, it's great to see all of you, and uh, glad you are here. You're the ones who aren't in Florida. <laughs> I think everybody's in Florida this summer. Get out of town for a little while. It's great to have you here. Welcome to Fellowship. Have you figured out this QR code thing yet? You just hold your phone up to it. I don't know how many times I took a picture of it before I learned that you just hold your phone up. Up comes the website. If you're new to Fellowship, you haven't been here in a long time, or, or you're brand new, it's great to have you worshiping with us, and uh, we hope uh, that you find a word from God today in your time of worship. The Samaritan Community Center back. Uh, Pack Drive, we've been partnering with them for 32 years now, and uh, this is very important. They count on the people of fellowship to help them, and this is the last day the bins will be out in the foyer. So after this service, you've got time to jog down to Walmart and get those colored pens and, and uh, loose-leaf papers that they need in those bins to, for the uh, Backpack Drive. Great organization. Uh, next week, there will be a meet and greet for newcomers. So if you're new to fellowship, uh, then after the service, if you just want to go across the hall over to the family center, uh, our staff would love to get to know you over there. And so join the meet and greet next week right after the service. Benville update. Boy, this looks like that building's almost finished, doesn't it? It's getting close, but not really. It's still going to be the spring before it opens up, okay? It's still going to be sometime in the spring. Don't have a date for you yet, but after they get the outside done, it's just, it's just a little slow. But please go to our website, and, uh, uh, you know, if you haven't set up recurring giving, please do that. Because of your faithful giving thus far, still, we haven't had to borrow a dime for construction, okay? We're still moving on. So let's stay ahead of it. All right, let's stay ahead. And also want to uh, remind you, uh, this past year, I'm just going to be honest with you, tell you, we didn't quite make our budget this last year. We were about 2% away. I need to celebrate that 98%, but that 2% that we didn't make gets in my craw. Uh, but we just didn't quite get there. And it could have been a lot worse because of COVID. I mean, thank you, God that we were able to do as much as we were. But this next year, uh, I know Denise and I have upped our giving. Uh, the best time to keep that from happening again this year is to take care of it now. Start now. We have upped our giving to help make sure of that, and hope all of us can, because this is a year we want to be shoulder to shoulder, face to face, and arm in arm, serving the Lord and serving one another. All right? Well, let's pray to that end and, and, and pray that God would take away all the distractions of our life and help us to focus on Him this morning. Oh, God. We come into your presence and we ask you to teach us. We ask you to reach us. In all our distractions, all our frustrations, help us to draw near to you. Help us to focus this morning on not growing weary, but to realize, Lord, that you are there with us. Open our minds and engage our hearts as only you can. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Most of us have sung a 
powerful chorus of that great hymn many times. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. When you sing that, what goes through your mind? Is Jesus' sacrifice precious to you? You know, God is so gracious in this life to give us glimpses of things that are so profound in, in, in eternity, but he gives us a picture of that in the here and now. You know, when you think about marriage, God gives us a glimpse of the measureless love that Christ has for his church. And when we think about our kids, you know, we get such a, a glimpse, a powerful picture of God's unconditional love for us. You know, in creation, holy cow, in right here in Northwest Arkansas, do we have some of the most beautiful sunsets in all the world? Incredible, right here. When I see those deep purple, blue, orange colors, I can't help but think there's just a taste of what believers in Jesus are gonna experience in the presence of a mighty God. So when you sing those words in that same spirit, oh precious is the flow. What in this life gives you a picture of how precious Christ's blood is? You know, this past Father's Day, I got a, a powerful glimpse of just that. My son Robert, my oldest son, and his sweet wife, Jackie, they, they gave me this hat right here. And I don't, I don't know if you can see what it says on the front. It says legend, which in case you think this is an inappropriate exercise in narcissism, it, you probably need a little bit of context for why there's a hat that says legend on it. But you know, as a kid, I knew full well of what it was like to grow up in a house that was just devastated by the effects of alcoholism. And in that young season of my life, I, I didn't know that it went back generations, several generations, as did broken families, as did even suicide, generations in our family. Because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, he reached out to me. He overwhelmed me with his love, captivated me with it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of a great mom, I learned that my generation does not have to be defined by alcoholism, nor do my future generations have to be. And so what legend is, is meant to symbolize there's a picture of my grandson, Maddox, and on his hat, it says legacy. And he and my grandson, Isaac, are, are part of our legacy, a legacy not defined by those things, not defined by addiction. And so the coolest thing of the whole deal, though, was what was on my son's hat. Because if you go to that, that picture of them on his hat is the word legend. Because he's no longer just my legacy, he has passed on that picture of faithful love of Jesus Christ onto his sons. And he's investing that into the next generation. So he's no longer just my legacy, but he's a legend. And so when you ask me, what is precious to you? Legacy is precious to me. It means everything, it changed my life and it gives me a picture of the precious flow that made that possible of Jesus' blood. And this platform is full of legacy. I watched Emily, now Bubbas, but Whedon, I watched her grow up from the point when she was born. And yet now, because of faithful legends investing legacy into her, she and her husband, Seth, they're leading us in worship. Aren't you grateful for that? Yeah, and with, with Sean and Shelby es Esri, brother and sister, that are taking what's been invested in them and they're investing it back into us as a family, passing on what was invested into them. With Reuben and, and Scott, for years they have invested in leading our family in worship. Aren't you grateful? 
we get ready to sing this powerful chorus, I just ask you a simple question. What is precious to you? And how does that speak to you about the precious blood of our Savior? So in that spirit, would you stand and sing this with me?
song, God Will Make a Way, I wrote it for a tragic situation in my family. Uh, my wife's sister and husband had been traveling with their family on the way to Colorado uh, to have a ski vacation when their van was broadsided by an 18-wheeler. Um, all four of the boys were thrown out of the van, and uh, three were seriously injured, but Jeremy, the oldest, was killed instantly. And when I heard that news, I can't tell you how helpless I felt. All the words that uh, came to my mind to say to Susan and Craig that day uh, seemed to fall short of what I really wanted to say. Um, all the scriptures that came to my mind didn't seem to be the right ones. And I had to get on an airplane the next day. And I was reading in my Bible from Isaiah chapter 43, how God will make a way uh, roadway in the wilderness and a river in the desert, Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. It says, don't remember the former things. Behold, I will do something new, and now it will spring forth. I will make a roadway in the wilderness and a river in the desert. And as I was sitting on the plane that day, I just asked the Lord to give me something to say to them at the funeral, something that would bring them hope in a hopeless situation. And uh, in that moment... God gave me a simple song, which has become one of my most well-known songs. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He'll make a way for me. And I know that that one phrase is a phrase that God gave me to say to Susan and Craig that day. He works in ways we cannot see. And maybe you need to hear that same phrase today. Uh, this song was written in a desperate situation, but it's not a song of desperation. It's a song of declaration. God will make a way, and he'll make a way for you today. Uh, no matter what you're going through, you just have to believe that even though your bank account may not look good, the doctor's report may not sound good, God is still working in ways that you cannot see, and he is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. Where there seems to be no way. What a great gift Don Moen has given us in this song. Let's sing it together. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way He will be my God, hold me close. 
closely to his side with love and strength for each new day he will make a you believe that? Believe that God will make a way where there seems to be no way? Our passage today is from Hebrews chapter 12. Have you enjoyed this study of Hebrews? Yeah. Our teachers have done a fantastic job. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3. And here's the big idea. Do not grow weary do you need to hear that during this time do not grow weary say it with me do not grow weary and now put your name in front of it all right mickey do not grow weary we need to hear that during these days we need to internalize it during these days let me ask you a question during what periods of your life, during what times, have you grown the most? Have, what, what periods have you matured the most? Has it been during the good times? No, I don't see anybody going, yeah. Everybody's going, no. It's during the tough times when we grow the most, when we mature the most. It doesn't mean we're to go looking for them. But that's where we grow the most and learn the most. And God speaks to us in those difficult times. As Johnny Erickson said, sometimes God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. A lady who spent most of her life as a quadriplegic. Sometimes God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And you're going to see that in this passage today. The difficult discipline and training days of life are essential and beneficial according to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. The difficult times, they either define us or they destroy us. It depends on where you find your strength to cope and to flourish. The book of Hebrews was written to a, a group who were enduring persecution. They were living during the rise of Roman persecution. And so they were having second thoughts about their conversion. Persecution does that to you. 
The difficult days cause you to think, okay, what, what about this thing? And so they were in a position where they were being persecuted from the outside, and so they were beginning to deconstruct their faith. Have you heard that term lately? The young people deconstructing their faith. Not a good thing. They were trying to modify it so that they might fit into the culture. You see, we have this false notion that when we become a Christian, that all of our problems are going to go away. I led a young man to, to Christ. He was a fireman in Little Rock in 1980. And a few weeks after he had become a Christian, he came back to me and he was confused. He told me that everything in his life had gone south since he had accepted Jesus. And he wanted to know, what's the deal here? Is this what I have to look forward to? Well, Satan, that's a time when we're most vulnerable. He tries to dissuade us. He tries to discourage us. But under such persecution, it's the opportunity for us to grow stronger. To link arms with the Lord. That's why in the book of Matthew, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, the Lord offers to share our burdens. Come to me, all you who labor. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. We don't have to go it alone. Life is tough at times. But the worst thing you can do when times get tough and the whole world is preaching a gospel that's different from what you know is to begin deconstructing your faith or trying to modify what you believe so that you might fit in. Sometimes you have to stand against the tide. The writer of Hebrews spends a great portion of the book talking about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. If you've gone through this book of Hebrews and you don't realize that Jesus is our high priest, then you've missed something. Because he spends the greatest portion of this book saying that Jesus is our high priest. He is a better priest. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. But then in chapter 10, he takes a turn. And he moves from talking about doctrine to duty. He moves from talking about precept to practice. In other words, he wants us to take all this theology that we've learned about and put it into practice. And that's where we are today. We're to apply those theological principles. And in light of this persecution, you'll remember the lettuce principles. I taught this down in Fayetteville, and I think Sam taught it here. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us consider how we may spur one another on, encourage one another on toward love and good deeds. Doesn't that sound like phrases you would give to someone going through persecution? Draw near to God. Hold on tight. Encourage one another. Absolutely, that's what you would do. And that's what he was doing. And then we were introduced to the heroes of faith. Oh, man, what a group. Hebrews chapter 11. If you need to be encouraged, just go there once in a while. They endured, but they persevered. They persevered when times were tough because their eyes were fixed on a better country, a country not their own, whose builder and maker is God. What an inspiration that must have been to that original audience as they were seeing persecution rise. And then we were given the challenge, since, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with what? Perseverance. We've got to persevere. The race marked out for us. You have a race that's marked out for you. I do too. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. If I could give you one verse on the church's role in addressing the tensions of our day, it would be Hebrews 12 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Let's keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the answer for every problem we face. He is the eternal solution. Do not grow weary. The last 16 months have been exhausting. I'm just going to lean on this for a little bit. <laughs> it's been exhausting for all of us with, with the pandemic, the rise and the fall, the disagreements over the pandemic, societal issues, political issues. And then we have the, the threats of, of domestic terrorism and international terrorism. That's always on our doorstep. We're dealing with, with all that. But what did you think? That things were going to get better and better? That's not what the Bible says, does it? The Bible doesn't say that things are going to get better and better. The Bible tells us that things are going to get worse and worse. Oh, we may have periods where it's good, but it's not going to get better. In John chapter 16, what did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. We say it, but we don't like to experience it, do we? In this world, you will have trouble. So we have to learn to respond to it. And God trains us for it. And that's what this passage is about. Remember this. The difficulties of life serve to prepare, train, and discipline us for God's ultimate purpose. The difficulties of life serve to prepare, train, and discipline us for God's ultimate purpose. So our section today begins with these words. Consider Him. Consider Him. We do ourselves a great disservice when we face trials of any kind and we fail to consider him. Considering Jesus puts all of life's difficulties into perspective. Let's look at some of the benefits of considering him. Considering him changes our perspective on the situations, as I said. It presents the opportunity to rise above the circumstances, to, to see above the trees. Considering him gives witness to others that God is at work in our lives. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine when it's so dark. Be the one who has hope. Don't get caught up in all the negative conversation and all the, all the stuff that we enjoy delving into so much. Rise above it. Let people see Jesus in the midst of it. Let them see the hope that he gives. Considering him reminds us once again that we belong to him. That God is our father. Jesus is our savior. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter and guide. Ever present. Always with us. And considering him gives us hope for the future. That's why we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Anyone here feeling a degree of opposition from the culture? No one? Yes. Let me remind you of something, though. The Bible has not changed in the last two years. When the Bible says something is wrong, it's wrong. The Bible hasn't changed in the last two years, the last 20 years, the last 200 years, the last 2,000 years. It has not changed. It doesn't matter how the culture tries to spin it, how religions or denominations try to interpret it. It doesn't matter what the culture thinks about it. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And I can assure you this, at Fellowship Bible Church, we will never compromise the Scriptures. Ever. Put me in orange. 
Put me in an orange jumpsuit, but we are not going to compromise what the word of God has to say. I don't want to live in opposition to God or his purposes and neither do you. Jesus endured opposition from sinners and we follow Jesus. There was a time in my life when I didn't see persecution in America. I was confused back in the 70s and 80s when I read, Blessed are the persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. And then he says something strange. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they treated the prophets who were before you. And I would read that back then and I would say, where is the persecution? It wasn't there. Well, it's changed today, hasn't it? The church is standing in opposition to things the culture says is right. And so we feel it and we see it. Satan has flipped a switch. He's he's set in motion a plan in opposition to God and our nation has swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. But we've been being conditioned for it for a long time. We've been like that proverbial frog in the kettle. In our music, in our movies, in the way we do business, cheating, it's just just the way that people operate. Through pornography, through perversion, through adultery, through addiction, and all those things that were once considered unacceptable in polite society, now we just go along with it. We've been conditioned to accept it. I'm not even sure there is such a thing as polite society and decorum anymore. And so we just accept. Remember with Gone with the Wind, Clark Gable, when he said uh, 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 used foul language in a movie? It was an uproar in this country. And now you can't even watch a cartoon without seeing it or hearing it. I'm telling you. So here's a great insight for us. In the midst of standing for those things we most surely believe, we should consider him. Consider him who endured opposition so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. If you lose heart, then we're going to start losing hope. Because we are to be salt and light in this world. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. (laughs) The writer of Hebrews says, you haven't shed any blood yet. Not like Christ or not, not like those heroes of faith. My grandmother used to say, it ain't so bad, but it couldn't be worse. She'd always say that. Boy, you didn't want to hear that. Well, it ain't so bad, but it couldn't be worse. She was tough. She was tough. I'm telling you, when she, she finally got sick and needed to go to the doctor, she wouldn't let anybody take her to the doctor but me. And I had to drive here from northwest Arkansas all the way down to Desert between Little Rock and Memphis to take her to the doctor. And I drove down there, took her to the doctor, and we'd find out that she had cancer that would kill her. But on the way, I, I just asked her the question. I said, how long has it been since you've been to a doctor? And she said, I don't know. But we began to figure it up. It had been 48 years since she had been to a doctor. 48 years. And he came to her house when she was having my mother on the kitchen table. When she got sick, she just toughed it out. If she got a toothache, she put an aspirin on it. When she had a sore throat or anything like that, she just just dealt with it. You just lived with it. I had a little football coach that was cut out of the same cloth as her. You go up to him and you say, Coach, I think I broke my arm. And he looked at it and say, I've had worse places on my tongue, never missed a meal. Get back in there. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, You haven't shed any blood yet. Things haven't been so tough for you yet. Verse 5. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? 
It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, there are four elements in this verse. Number one, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and then don't lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. The Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, you might be wondering, what is he talking about here? Is he talking about persecution? Is he talking about training? Is he talking about discipline? Is he talking about rebuke? Is he talking about chastisement? Yes. All the above. The same word used for discipline here is, is used as training in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training or discipline. In righteousness, same word. So he's talking about all that. He takes this verse from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. That's what he's quoting. They are to recognize in their current difficulties the Lord's hand lovingly developing strong Christian character. Write this in your Bible beside this verse. Discipline is evidence of sonship. Discipline, training is evidence of sonship. The Beatitudes didn't say, blessed are you if trouble comes. He just assumed it would. I was reminded this past week of a guy named George Young. George Young was an itinerant evangelist and, and musician. He and his whole family would travel and, and they would do gospel meetings all across the Midwest. They were very poor, but they saved up enough money to build a house and they, they built their own home. They were so proud to have a, a place to come back to and call home. And while they were away on one of their meetings, someone not sympathetic to their ministry burned their house to the ground. They lost everything they had. And it was out of that experience that he wrote an old gospel song. The refrain of it goes like this. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through... The fire. But all through the blood. Some through great sorrow. But God gives a song in the night season. And all the day long. Well, there was a guy by the name of Halder Lillinus who lived in Kansas City. He had developed his own Christian music publishing company. And he was just captivated by this old gospel song. And he wanted to find Mr. Young. And so he set out from Kansas City where the Youngs supposedly lived. Well, he found out that Mr. Young had died. But Mrs. Young was still alive. But she lived in the county poorhouse. He said when he learned that, he almost turned his car around and went back to Kansas City. But he kept going. And he was so glad that he did because he found a little lady who was 4 feet 10 inches tall with a radiant smile, and she loved Jesus. And she told him that when they got married, she and George, that they had, deciding that, that had decided that if, if the Lord did the leading, then they would do the following. And she said that God had led her to this county poorhouse where she lived now, where new people came in every day, and she told them about Jesus. She was so excited about her life. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood, some through great sorrow. But God gives a song as he did with her in the night season and all the day long. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now the writer gives us three areas to explore in regard to discipline. Number one, the necessity of discipline. Number two, the proper response to discipline. And the benefits of discipline. Let's look at the necessity of discipline. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, 
then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, I wanted to, to make this little section practical for us here. Parents teach their children to brush their teeth, correct? That's just a part of it. You teach them to brush their teeth once a day, twice a day, multiple times a day. And once in a while, we're given the responsibility of taking care of our grandsons. Here, here they are. Aren't those beautiful little teeth? The littlest one there, Aiden, had him last week. And he was back there banging on the keyboard. And so he finished that. And so I was turning off the keyboard and everything. And while I was doing that, I turned around. And he, he, he had my guitar. And he set it on the floor. And then he said, he's got your guitar. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be careful with that. You know, and he was just banging on it, carrying away. And then he got finished with that. And he took off. And I was putting the guitar away. And he's just, just fast. Just fast. They're like two little fighting kittens. And he took off. And so I'm supposed to be watching him. And I can't find him. And I yell, Aiden, Aiden, where are you? Hey, Aiden. I'm trying to be a little quiet so they don't hear me in the other room. He had climbed up on a chair and then climbed up on a counter and then moved to another counter. And when I walked into the bathroom, he was reaching across like this. Reaching, he had opened a cabinet and was reaching in to pull something out. And I said, what are you doing? And he looked back at me and he said, I need Band-Aid. Wanted a Band-Aid. His Band-Aids were up there. Well, once in a while, we were giving them their baths and putting them down for bed. No pops gets the opportunity and the responsibility of brushing their teeth. Now, you know what happens with guys these age when they're brushing their teeth. You put the toothpaste on there, they lick it off, and they said, I'm done. Well, then it's time for old pops to get in there and brush those teeth like they ought to be brushed. And I get them in a headlock. <laughs> and I get that toothbrush, and, and, and I get back in those places where their mama doesn't get, you know. I get back in the back on the bottom and on the inside, and I get the top teeth on the back and all around, you know. And they get tired of it, and they clamp down on the toothbrush, and I have to work it loose, you know. And then I realize I'm holding on a little tight to their head and probably... <laughs> Probably got their head tilted back a little bit too far. And they don't enjoy the process, but they enjoy drinking like a puppy out of the faucet when we're finished, you know. They don't appreciate that at the time. But they learn the discipline of brushing their teeth. And so I have reinvented this, this scripture to the, the MIV, the Mickey International Version so that, that you might see this. Endure brushing your teeth is training. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not trained to brush their teeth by their parents? If you are not trained and everyone undergoes training, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human parents who taught us to brush our teeth and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Are you tracking with me? As the children get older and wiser, they realize that all of that difficult training was for their good. Teach them how to take care of their teeth because they still have teeth. And because you teach their children when they are younger, when they're older, they just do it on their own. If you have a 35-year-old son or daughter, you don't ask them, Hey, did you brush your teeth today? No. It's just a part of who they are. I asked my assistant this week. I said, do your parents ever ask you if you brush your teeth? She said, no. No. It's because she was taught right. And that's what this passage is telling us. God treats us and trains us like his children. And we should be grateful to him for the discipline that he's taught us. Now, the proper response to discipline. They dis disciplined us for a little while as they thought beds. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That is the ultimate. To share in his holiness. 
He always disciplines us for our good. Sometimes discipline is corrective to awaken us, to set us back on the right path like King David after he messed up. Sometimes it's preventative to keep us from walking down the wrong path like Paul's thorn was for him. And sometimes educational it wasn't, as it was in Job's case. Job, he rose to new levels of spiritual awareness and understanding after God's training in his life. This is the proper response to discipline. To search, to look for God's purpose in allowing hardship. I often ask people when they're in the hospital lying flat on their back, what's God teaching you in all this? Or what has God taught you today? You know, in coming out of this this pandemic in this last two years, I wondered, what, what's my purpose? What have I learned through all this? And, and, and my purpose coming out of this is to be a person who helps promote unity. Unity. Even if we disagree with one another on something, we don't have to be ugly. We don't have to be nasty to one another because we disagree to promote unity. James Moffat, the Scottish theologian, wrote, To endure rightly, one must endure intelligently. Now, the benefits of discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Oh, look beyond the pain to the harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, at the beginning of this chapter, it talked about running the race. I've never enjoyed running. I know some of you do. You just float along, but that's not me, Jack Gentry. You, you run. Oh, incredible. But not me. It hurts. We have a guy on staff. He runs those 100-mile things. I'd get about three-quarters of a mile into that and say, let's go back to the house and get a fudge sickle. <laughs> but I remember back when I played football, and our coach loved to used to make us run those wind sprints at the end of practice, 100-yard wind sprints at the end of practice. After practicing two hours, we'd run those wind sprints. And down in East Arkansas, you don't appreciate it unless you've been down there because that time of year in August, the mosquitoes are as big as chickens. And they would turn on those Friday night lights and all those mosquitoes from those rice fields and those ponds and the bottoms, they would come to that football field and we'd be running. And you know what it's like when you're running a sprint. You have your mouth wide open and you're sucking air and you were sucking mosquitoes down with it. I mean, and I promise you, you try to run with your mouth closed because of all the mosquitoes. And we'd get down there and we'd say, how many are we running, coach? And he'd say, till I get tired. Till I get tired. He hadn't run one. But, you know, nobody complained about that when we won the state championship. That harvest of righteousness and peace is what is ahead for those who endure God's training and his discipline correctly. So lift up your head. Don't get under the pile. Let him speak to you through all this. Now, what's the ride home for us? The sufferings and disciplines of the early church, discipline of the early church addressed by the writer of Hebrews were both corrective and purposeful. It wasn't for naught. Second thing, harsh circumstances are used by God to prepare, train, and discipline his children to accomplish his ultimate purpose. If you belong to him, if you're one of his children, remember, the course is marked out for you. And it's for his purpose. So don't think it's for naught. And remember this. Discipline is evidence of sonship. It's evidence that you're on the right path. And remember this. Those who show contempt for the people of God and God's purposes, even when they inflict pain and suffering, cannot frustrate his divine purpose. They're just not that good. They're just not that powerful. So don't worry about that. 
And the unpleasant circumstances we may endure are necessary so that we will one day enjoy a harvest of righteousness and peace. Peace in this life, but oh my, someday, heaven. Someday, heaven. We've got to run the race with perseverance marked out for us. When it gets too tough, when it gets too heavy, look up. Because it's true. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. So let's be a people who stand firm in His promises. Would you bow for a moment and just contemplate some of this? Ask the Lord for strength for something you may be going through right now. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Express to Him your confidence in His leadership. Just contemplate some of those things. transform the lives we as a people get to be ambassadors of his love that can express his truth in and through our lives may we do that as a people as a church may that become precious to us you know as we leave this place every week we have a prayer team they absolutely love lifting up things in your life before the Lord and if you would like to take them up on that we encourage you to do so Scott uh, Thompson is over there. He and his wife are there. And they are, as always, they love praying for you. And so as you leave, remember that. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.